Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. I'll stop. How no, you stop. Hang on. Wait. Okay. Let's no. talk. What's been happening in isolation? Because you've been complaining that you've been eating too much. And I said to, to Dee Dee, I can't wait to Don't see her. She's going to be the size of a house by the time I see her. I, I can't put wait. On. Actually, I, I could feel it. And I was seeing my stomach in the mirror in the, when I was showering. And I was thinking, that's got to be some, you know, menstrual lady thing making my... Abdomen stick out, but not just fat. Weighed myself two kilos heavier. All right, this has got to be a banter free episode. We need to pump this one out. Pump, pump, pump it, pump it. No. Pump it. There can louder. still be a little bit of. Um, can there? Yeah, I reckon. Can we talk about something a other little than bit of how fat I am? Yeah. Do you reckon I'll be, it's because I'm not doing all that incidental exercise walking? Well, to I was having walking. stomach pains and I had to um, call my I called my doctor because there was a, some just weird stuff going on, and he's like, "Any changes in your eating habits?" Yes. Yes. I'm eating everything. Mm-hmm. Same. And I've got this obsession at the moment. Like, family have to eat healthy. Feed them healthy food. Healthy. I'm like cooking. I'm still. I'm panic cooking. I'm panic. What? I'm just making. The other night I came home. I was like McDonald's. Oh, no, I'm the opposite. Oh. Everyone must have all of these vegetables, all of them. I got a slow cooker. Thoughts? Yes. I'm yes. here for it. I've still got my 1980s one. Oh, okay, we're going to have to share recipes. It's the best. Well, I, did, I don't have any. I just throw things into it. Make rice pudding in it. Really? Put a rice pudding in that, motherfucker. Okay. And let it go all day. By the end of the day, it turns into almost like caramel. It's the, it'll blow your mind. Oh. Use the arborio rice, the one that you yeah, use yeah. for um, yep. Find any wow, any, yep. Look up slow cooker rice pudding. Well, I might go first because I'm talking about coronavirus. Oh, I'm sick of hearing about. I know, it. but I actually just found some stuff that perhaps isn't being mentioned in the news that right. people aren't okay. talking about what's happening in the news and in regards to COVID. And I found this article that I thought was really interesting, and it talks about the dead of COVID-19. Which... Oh, yes, because you lost your mind when you saw the pictures of them taking the bodies to Heart Island. Yes. We're giving up crazy I'm obsessed with in capitals. Yes. That's Heart Island. Yes, I'm obsessed with the dead. So one of the questions that was raised in this article was, are bodies of patients who had coronavirus and died from coronavirus, are they still infectious? Yes. Which I don't think I've seen much about. So the short answer is, it's highly likely... To, hang on a second. What? You obviously don't listen to my show because we spoke to a funeral director very early in the piece. You must have missed that. Dee I'm sure you listened to my show. Heart's broken. I always listen when I'm in the car. I have Just, to be in the car what? driving around. It's good we can't hear Kirsten right now because she would be crying. <laughs> no, I do listen. I'm at work at the same time you're at work. As if I expect you to listen every know, single second of every about single it. day. No. Okay, so. They... Since when do you feel awkward? Yes, go on. It is. Um, no, I do like listening to your show and I can tell when you're getting annoyed with people. Like, because <laughs> I know you so well, I can tell when people call up and you're like, I just want to cut this fucker off. Sometimes I don't. Yeah, but I do. But you let them go. Uh, I feel some, like you're fair. I get a bit 
Yeah, I try and give people because it it's, takes a lot of guts to ring a radio station, I, and I appreciate that. But then I, sometimes I'm like, oh, you're boring me. <laughs> Just get to the or cut to the chase. Sometimes I'll actually say that. Yeah. So what happened in the end? Yep. Like get to uh, your totally. Story. Yep. And, and I could. I wish we could hear Kirst right now because she'd be going oh, like she's a hundred percent agreeing. And you yep. know the worst thing they can say. Cut a long story short. No. And they never do. They never, they never do. do. Oh, I love when they ring up and they go, Hi, Dudu, how are you? Yes, I'm 87. <laughs> if they start the conversation by telling you their age, it's like they want to be excused for whatever's going to come love, after that. It's just like you just never ring a radio station and ask the person, How are you? Yeah, oh, they all do. They I know. all do, Good, though. Thanks. Good, thanks. Good. Yeah, I feel like Good. I'm a bit, I've got to work on my responses to that. Yeah, mm. look, it's fine. <laughs> anyway, so the short answer is that people who die from COVID-19, their bodies, it's highly likely they remain infectious. Wow. So forensic pathologists around the world are trying to work this out exactly to work out how contagious they are. But until they work that out, everyone that works with the dead bodies of COVID-19 has to treat them in the same way they would if they were a living patient with COVID. So that inc- includes hospital staff, funeral directors, People who do autopsies, all of that. So during the Ebola epidemic, which claimed around 11,300 lives in West Africa, uh, 2014-2015, handling of the dead was one of the main modes of transmission of the disease. So one of the lessons forensic humanitarians took from this experience, which is now being applied to the coronavirus, was that untrained first responders were not to be involved in any way with handling the human remains during outbreaks of highly contagious diseases. So how are different countries handling their dead? Places like UK are fine. They're doing fine. Everything's good. They're managing their dead. They're not overwhelmed. It's the same with here in Australia. Mm. We're fine. I know we've got listeners in the US, but you guys are not doing fine over there. Mm. So they've obviously had a lot of deaths, especially uh, in New York. And we know that um, – I didn't, actually didn't know this. All countries have to adhere to an international to international humanitarian law when it comes to burying their dead. Have we ever spoken about no, this? No, we haven't. No, we haven't. So I looked it up, and uh, it's part of the Geneva Convention. It says that all dead must be honourably interred. Um, And when it comes to prisoners of war, countries have to ensure that prisoners of war who have died in captivity are honourably honourably buried. Mm -hmm. So once wars are over, they must do that. They also have to ensure that if they are going to bury prisoners of war in the country where they were prisoners, they have to be buried according to religion and ethnicity. Oh. So they have to be grouped in those ways. Wow. Yeah. Um, and they have to be properly marked so they can be found and all those sorts of things. I just didn't know that. But yes, we know it's not going well in New York. This was uncovered uh, a few weeks ago. In the Washington Post, they've done a really great article that said, the neighbours could not ignore the smell of decomposing corpses outside a Brooklyn funeral home. Oh, goodness. With New York morgues struggling to find room for the increasing number of bodies from the coronavirus pandemic, residents looked on as employees at the funeral home placed dozens of bodies inside body bags and then hauled them into a metal truck parked on the street. Oh, God. Neighbours rang police. Mm. 
Of course, we know New York epicenter, more than 16,000 deaths, and they are just overrun. The funeral homes cannot cope. Um, I looked at, I was looking at all different ways they handle bodies during pandemics. One of the things they do is they bypass autopsies. So because they know how these people died, they don't think there's any reason for autopsies. So they might bypass them so they can bury the dead quicker. Just speeds up the whole process. Um, so New York police were involved. They discovered dozens of bodies stacked inside two U-Haul, U-Haul trucks parked near the building. They were um, not refrigerated, but they also found refrigerated trucks holding bodies around the funeral home as well. Um As police visited the funeral home on Wednesday afternoon, the article reads, Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams suggested that the disturbing scene was a symptom of insufficient resources for funeral homes and morgues, which have been overwhelmed by the bodies. He said, this is exactly what I spoke about over the weekend regarding the urgent need for reform in the handling of bodies and burial processes. We demand decent treatment of our deceased. Mm. And I think we've spoken about this before, that each state in the United States has a different rules and regulations about what can happen right. and i think we didn't we speak about a funeral home that was found with a truck out the front or a refrigerated truck that just had bodies in it oh, i've done a couple where the there. bodies have just been left yeah, yeah it's awful so it seems that the united states is coping it's not, not so coping. well yeah coping not so well so mm. i would hate to see what the wash up of all this will be after it imagine oh. if you just couldn't find your loved one well yes if someone's you know collapses on the street mm. and is taken to hospital and dies and they don't have any ID mm. on them. Yeah, there could be that. Oh, dear. Now you've got a story about mass death as well. Well, okay, I'm going to do – and this happened – I just remember this when I was at primary school. I, I confessed this to someone the other day, and I, so I thought, oh, I must do it as a story. So the Westgate Bridge fell down as it was being built here in Melbourne. It did. And I can remember – this is. I must have been onto this whole murder thing as a, even as a kiddie because I remember that the uh, – Sun newspaper, as it was, had a big picture of the collapsed bridge on the front page. And I can remember staring at it for the longest time. Really? Like you were mesmerised by the... Well, I was trying to look really closely to see if I could see any squashed bodies under it. Like I was a kid, you know, you don't know any better, but that's how... No, yeah, yeah. Is it any wonder I grew up and did this podcast with you? No. So, um... It is Australia's worst ever industrial accident. So the Westgate Bridge in Melbourne is just over two and a half k's long. It's twice as long as the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And at e- its e- to- e- in ha- your face, ha- Sydney. Ha- 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 People from Melbourne and Sydney, we have a rivalry. We're dick swinging. <laughs> and at its tallest point, it's about 60 metres high. It's 10, lays, ten, uh, 10 lanes wide and it crosses the Yarra River. It's estimated around about 200,000 cars cross the Westgate every day, going between Melbourne and the southwestern suburbs and Geelong. So they started building it in 1968. And two years into the pro- into the project, there was a big problem. Uh, two half girders at the western end of the span, as they brought them together, there was a gap of about ten centimeters. So the bridge was like they're bringing two big slabs of road together, yes. and one's going up, and, and one's, one's a bit going high, down. and one's a bit low. They're not meeting in the middle. That's right, and you want them to meet at the same level so you can drive across it. But you're not going to be able to drive across it if there's a ten k, a ten centimeter gap. So um, it's about four inches if you're not into centimeters. So what they planned to do was put weight on the higher piece. Uh, they wanted to use 
concrete blocks for that, each block weighing ten, uh, eight tonnes to bring that down to the level of the other of the lower piece. But that load, uh, so eight concrete blocks, t- uh, eight tonnes each, was much heavier than had been approved by an engineer. So they put the blocks on, it's caused the span to start to buckle. On Wednesday the 14th of October, the instructions were given to straighten the buckle without further delay, as in keep building, come on, get the thing yeah. finished. The next morning at around about 8.30 in the morning, so this is the 15th of October. Yeah, did I say we are in? Uh, yeah, it was 1970. Okay. okay. Uh, 8.30, 15th of October, 1970, they started trying to straighten the buckle. Mm-hmm. They removed some bolts and that caused things to slip. So they started to re-tighten the bolts with an air gun, but the pressure of using the air gun on the bolts caused the bolts to break. And as the bridge started oh, no. to move, a lot of the bolt holes, because it um, the bridge had moved, the yeah. bolt holes weren't where the bolts were before. It had all slipped and gone slightly to the side. So they couldn't re-bolt the span into place and that then caused other panels of the bridge to buckle. At around 11am, the section engineer contacted the resident engineer, a man called Jack Hindshaw, and told him that things weren't going very well. Hindshaw turned up on site. He straight away knew that it was potentially a really dangerous situation and he made a phone call to Gerrit Hardenberg, Hardenberg, a senior representative of... They're all German. Yeah, they are, aren't they? The WSC Melbourne World Services and Construction Proprietary Limited. I'm just going to throw in a little side note here. My dad is an engineer and worked on creating some of the equipment that they used in the construction of the bridge, not related to it collapsing. But, um, yeah, so he kind of had – it's probably why we had the newspapers pretty quickly at home because he would have been like, "Uh uh-oh, what's happened there? Let's just check it was nothing I did. did. Thankfully it wasn't. Uh, so this Hindshaw, Jack Hindshaw, uh, the last words that he was heard saying were, shall I get the bods off, referring to the workers who oh. were up on the bridge. So it was just before midday. A lot of the workers were on their lunch break in the huts down below. Yeah. Some of them were up on the bridge. At 11.50 a.m., the steel started to give way. Now, those who could see the steel said that it changed colour, just the stress of the metal bending. Would it be making a noise too? Oh, like a squealing noise. Yeah. It, it was a grey colour and it turned to a blue colour as it tried to hold on, but the concrete cracked and exploded and a 112-metre span between two of the piers fell 50 metres to the ground. The slab of concrete and mangled metal, they say probably weighed around 2,000 tonnes. It crashed into the water of the river below and onto the ground below. Buildings hundreds of metres away shook. Houses in the area were splattered with flying mud and the sound of the impact was heard over 20 kilometres away. Whoa. 35 construction workers were killed, 18 were injured, some fell with the bridge and some were in the hats below and the engineer Jack Hindshaw was among those who were killed. Mm-hmm. They rushed victims to the Royal Melbourne Hospital and some of them spoke to journalists from their hospital beds. One of them, Vincent Rosewarn, was 24 years old. He was a crane operator. He had been up on the bridge and he rode it to the ground as it oh. fell. He had broken arms and a fractured leg. People who saw him fall said he struck a wire mesh at ground level, which sort of bounced, bounced him back up in the air like a trampoline. 
while all the steel crashed around him. He said, two feet either way, I would have been dead. There was this big rumbling and everything was flying towards the centre of the bridge. I thought, hell, she's giving way. I grabbed a big piece of steel and just held on while everything slid down around me. After that, I can't remember a thing until I woke up in the ambulance. A 42-year-old man by the name of John Thwaites said the bridge had just opened up beneath him. I found myself with nothing to walk on, so I grabbed a crossgirder and held on on the way down. I don't remember hitting the deck. I woke up in the mud where the rescuers were pulling me out. 41-year-old, and a lot of these workers were migrants. Yeah. 41-year-old Peter Marola said, one minute I was standing on the span, there was this great cracking sound and everything was falling. All the way down, I kept thinking I could end up in hundreds of pieces. Then I opened my eyes. I was in great pain, but still alive. And I started to scream for health, help. And one of the workers uh, named E. Halsell, who was under the bridge when it fell, he said, I heard the bolts snapping and then I knew the structure was falling. I ran for my life. I thought I had no hope, but then suddenly a gust of wind from the falling structure picked me up and what? blew me 20 yards through the air. So just the whoosh of the whole thing falling, Propelled the him wind out. of that pushed him out of the way. It blew him clear of the bridge. Another man called Ray Melroy lived about a half a kilometre away. He said he heard a rumble and five explosions in succession. He rushed to the scene. He found three men lying dead in the wreckage. He said, there was smoke everywhere. It was a shambles. There was nothing I could do for the dead men. Dozens of men were screaming. It was horrible. Nick Grosso was on the span when it fell. He said, I was welding. I felt the bridge start to shake. Then she went. I went down with the span. It was an awful few seconds. There were men lying all around me. Some of my mates were dead. Others were moaning, help, help, help. Um, George... Stusilakos saw a Scottish workmate named George thrown clear of the wreckage, but he said, I could hardly recognise him. I've never seen such a sight. George had been working with us near the bridge, trying to put copper plates into the wooden beams. When the span came down, a huge piece of steel landed right on top of him. I just had to leave him. There was nothing anybody could do for him. So I don't know if you've ever heard of a legendary Melbourne journo by the name of John Sorrell. He was working for the Herald at the time. I think he went on to be news director at Channel 9. Yep. He flew over the disaster zone not long after the collapse and he wrote that the scaffolding had fallen on top of a barge, which was in the river just next to the bridge, and had cut the barge in two. Uh, he said there appeared to be figures in the water. So the rescue teams found 32 bodies that day. Many of them, as I said, were migrant workers. Um, I won't read all of their names, but yeah, it's quite sad. A lot of them had sold their shops. One of them had sold his shop in Greece to come and work in Australia for a new fresh start at life. Um, There was another young man who was to have been married to a young girl on on cup day. So it was only like a a month away from getting married. Uh, Another one had immigrated from Malta seven years before. Their foreman had packed his bags to leave the bridge and take his wife, Lee, and seven children up to Queensland where he was going to work on the Mackay Bridge and be near his mother. So one woman, Irene Woods, she rushed from her job to be with her four children when she learned that her husband, Pat, had been killed. Um, One woman, Mrs. Butters of East Kobeck had to wait eight days for the body of her husband to float to the surface 
after the crumpled scaffolding was moved. She said, I knew it was hopeless after the first night. It was only a matter of time. There's just name after name after name. It's just so sad. So they held a Royal Commission, mm -hmm. sat for six months, and they found that the design, the construction method, and the attempts to fix the concrete failure caused the collapse. The page, uh, the report was huge, 293 pages. They released that in 1971. And they found that the project was riddled with errors, infighting, and poor management. The disaster was utterly unnecessary and inexcusable. And the designers, builders, and builders made mistakes, miscalculations, errors of judgment, failure of communication, and sheer inefficiency. So the final death toll, as I said, was 33 men at the site. Yeah. Two died later in hospital and the coroner listed their deaths as by misadventure. In 1972, another building company, John Holland, who still do a lot of building around yeah. uh, Melbourne at the moment, they were brought in to complete the bridge. WSC continued to fabricate some of the components of it. So it was completed in 1978 after 10 years at a cost of $202 million and six of the fragments of the collapsed bridge uh, in the gardens in the engineering faculty of the Monash University Clayton campus. Oh, I didn't know that. Hmm. And I won't go into the suicides that happened off the bridge. I would have done, but I think we're a bit pushed for time. Oh, and the feedback I've got from Kate. We have so much feedback. We're so popular. We're so popular. Like, oh, my God, guys, just stop it. Hello, ladies. Nice things, nice things. Two things. First thing, I can't thank you enough for making this podcast and making me laugh, especially for hillbilly accents the other week about wiping his nose on the baby. Hot dang, somebody wiped their nose on the baby. Mama, the hillbilly Mama accent. Get, a, get a hammer. There's don't, a fly on Papa's head. Don't you wipe your nose on that baby. <laughs> Here's my favorite accent. I've had the worst few years with a horse race accident as a jockey, which ended in a brain injury. Oh. Then I lost my bestie and soul sister the same way last year. And then a few months ago, I found out my boyfriend was cheating. <gasps> that dang bastard. Hot dang. He, he needs to have his You love love cheating mug. <laughs> How dare you? Don't Get you bring out your sneaky log monster over here. <laughs> don't you come back. We, hands on hips. Don't, yeah. Get out of this house and don't you come back. She says, not nice things going on for me. No. Second, I've been watching the trials of Gabrielle Fernandez. Oh, I keep wondering whether to watch that on Well, Netflix. she said not recommended for DD. Oh, okay. But holy <laughs> shitballs, people are so evil. Thanks again for an amazing podcast that keeps me smiling when I feel like crying. Oh. Kate, P.S. Haven't seen a dead bod. Good. I hope it stays that way, Kate. The trials of Gabrielle Fernandez, I have not watched either because mm. I have heard it's quite horrific. And just because of work, I haven't been watching crazy stuff. No, I want to look at it. I, but see, my there's I, child I'm abuse so though in it. I think. Oh, is there? I think so. I'm a bit yeah. hamstrung in this family. There was a really good documentary on the other night about the Boston marathon bombing, and like I've been to Boston and I've stood where it happened. Oh, I've watched that documentary. It's fabulous. I know, but it's got a lot of blood, and they're all going, "Oh, it's blood. Oh, it's blood. We can't watch it. What are you watching? What are you watching?" There's one bad part in it where there's you a see lot of some... blown off limbs. Yeah, it's just one big part though but Try it's like your family them. could walk out of that part because you they know were... what's happened in it no they're all going "Ooh, what are you watching oh you know goodness. like i was some sort of weird alien so i had to turn it off and i've got to wait till there's no one in the and because everyone's in lockdown so i can't watch the telly without them all oh. holly says hi ladies nice things nice things always nice to say 
nice things to say about your podcast. I just listened to episode 83 on the murder of Alma Turchki in Melbourne. Oh, Colin Ross, that was. That was yep. where he, yep. Uh, I wanted to let you know there is an exhibit on Colin Ross at the old Melbourne jail. Oh, wow. That's where he was hanged. I visited the jail in January this year and read his story. Very sad, but good to know they got it right in the end. Of course, they pardoned him after many years. Thank you, Holly. We've got one from, well, several people pointed this story out to us uh, in Butte, Montana, in the US, 72-year-old Shep Arnold was arrested, I've read ahead, for selling dehydrated (laughs) human meat, aka jerky at his general store, Shep's Goods. I love jerky. An executive from, do you? Yep. Chewy meat. Looks like something I give my dog. Sweet, just not smoky. Oh. Love it. An executive from Jack Links, which makes jerky, was staying in Butte and bought some of Shep's jerky, which he gave to his own in-house scientists to see what made it so special. They found that the meat wasn't beef. It was human. <gasps> Chef Arnold was arrested and police needed to find the supply of his meat, obviously. Turns out about once a year in the summer... Shep hires a new helper for his store, but three of these men had gone missing. Oh, there's an update to the story. It's fake news. Oh, darn it. It was better when it was human. There is no public record of any 72-year-old man named Shep Arnold. Oh, Shep. I want Shep to be doing that. Shep, stop selling those human parts. (laughs) I told you before. Jess says... I don't think the accents, accents should be an issue at all. Personally, I laugh a lot. Yay. I find it oh. equally as funny when Americans, oh, yeah, Asians, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's or <laughs> European, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, do it. An Australian accent. Oh, I see. You know, when people from other countries we were do having one this discu- No, we were having this discussion about I was saying that I think your Asian accent is very offensive. Yeah, but what? I don't know why it's more offensive than doing an American accent. But what if an Asian did an Australian accent? Would that be offensive? No, it would be funny. Right. I know, I know. I'm just conscious of it. Jess says anyone who's telling a joke does it well. It's it's okay. It's funny. And shout out to the fact you at least know something about other cultures. Well, that's debatable. You're not being derogatory. I know that. Thank you, Jess. It comes from a place of having fun. That's right. (sighs) Go on, two more. I just. Okay. Let's do them. I thought I was going to say some more on accents, but maybe I won't. No. Okay. This is from Robert. Oh, Robert. This is mostly for Dee Dee's enjoyment and to annoy Chanel. Good. Thank you. Have you heard of foreign accent syndrome? What's that? Oh, I have. Sometimes happens after head trauma or more alarmingly, spontaneously when you wake up speaking in a different accent. It was on 2020 a few years ago. Look it up on YouTube. It's very unfortunate. Keep doing the accents, please. My favorites are the weirdo New York woman and the Japanese. I've still got the Japanese story. It's just sound easy. like the cookie monster. Whatever. It's coming out. I've got it. It's just a very long story. Oh we didn't have time God. on today's short episode. It's not that short. Um, Tracy has been in touch from Austin, Texas. Texas. Where the hair is big and the girls are beautiful. True. They all are. 
Um, her message did start with all the nice things, nice things. She says, I want to mention another podcast I recently stumbled upon. Oh, really? It's called My Funeral Home Stories by Grant Inman. His family has owned a funeral home here in the US for many years, so he has incredible dead body stories to share, but with a little different perspective. His experiences at crime scenes make riveting stories. Love to all three of you, even Kirsten, who's been silenced by our strange way of ISO recording. Uh, from Tracy. Thank you, Tracy. Can you love our podcast more, please? Do you remember when we started and we got some really horrible reviews yes. and people thought we were just assholes? That I, we found our yeah. people now, I think. We've definitely found our people. We have. We don't, yeah, I can't, we haven't had many critical ones lately. Please don't. Don't do it We're, because I think no, because we don't care. I don't give a shit, and I'll write back or... and I'll be aggressive and I'll be off leash, oh, as my family God. says, because I'm not for the hate. I'm not ignoring the haters anymore. I'm fighting back. <laughs> I've had it. She's feral. She's had it. Yeah. Uh, so please keep the feedback coming. Nine six. What am I doing? I'm giving Nine, the phone six. number. I was You're giving. Doing... <laughs> I was giving again. It's just habit. The phone she number. She was about to radio do call. I wish yeah, we could do talk show back. I wish we could one day do talk back. With that would be bodies. the best. I would With love our, it. our podcast listeners. In the meantime, the only way you can send messages via the Facebook page. And Tony's going to give you the email right now. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.